morning. If you're wondering why I'm in a suit jacket, Pastor Gary took me to the Big and Tall store. So, so that's what happened. Thanks, Gare Bear. Appreciate it. My name is John, and uh, I have the great privilege of being on the pastoral team here at Central, where I really do get the great joy of walking with students as their youth pastor. Um, our deep desire as a youth group, as a youth ministry, is to help the students who come into this place to be authentic followers of Jesus. That's, that's why we exist. We exist to help students live their lives for God in the midst of a lost and broken world where we continually point them to Jesus, who is our hope in the, light of, in, in, in the midst of despair. Our goal is that students who walk through this door will encounter Jesus. And this morning, we're just really glad to see and to put God on display for how he's actually doing that. And so why don't we just quickly pray for um, our morning again, and uh, we're just really thankful for what God's doing. Also want to give you just an update. Uh, yesterday, we hosted uh, what is our probably our biggest youth event that we do every year. Uh, we did a food fundraiser for our Salvation Army Community Food Bank. We asked you to help. Uh, we were able to raise 40,500 items yesterday, which is equivalent, if you think, a dollar. 50, uh, we're, we're, we're talking $55,000, $60,000 worth of food went to the food bank yesterday. Uh, and so thank you for that. Let's quickly pray. Jesus, again, we just give you praise and glory for this morning. This is for your kingdom, Lord. It's not because of youth pastors or youth leaders. It is because of what you're doing that we're able to stand up here and rejoice at how you're working and changing lives, Lord. And so we just pray for this morning. Your spirit would move in this place. And that this, uh, yeah, would be for your name, not ours. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up John 16, chapter uh, 25 to 33. Uh, if you're joining us this morning, we have been working through the book of John for a few months. Uh, we are coming to an end in our series, and we'll pick this up next year. Uh, but this is what uh, we want to end our series off with this, uh, this Sunday. So if you have a Bible, let's read. Jesus says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and I'm going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, oh, now you're speaking plainly to us and not using figurative speech. Now we know uh, that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you feel like me this morning, I kind of feel like a cat with a long tail in a room full of rocking chairs. Okay? Because for me, this, is, this has been a, a section of scripture that just has so much depth to it. And because of that, what I want to do is I want to make sure that we don't miss out or that you don't miss out on what Jesus is saying here. And so before we continue, I want to give you some background to this passage to help you understand its context. 
This portion of Scripture is part of a section of Scripture called the Upper Room Discourse. And it was an important, intimate moment that Jesus had with his disciples before he was arrested and put to death. In chapter 13, Jesus is fully aware that the hour uh, was to come and to, to leave the world and to return to his Father. And because he has a deep love for his disciples, Jesus gathers them before the Passover celebration Right, This symbolic uh, moment in the life of the Jews as they celebrated how God redeemed the nation of Israel from its slavery in Egypt through the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus gathers the disciples at this time. With the disciples not understanding that Jesus was soon going to the cross to be the sacrifice for our sins to redeem us. So Jesus pours into them. And he instructs them, and he corrects them, and he reveals more of who he is and why he was sent from the Father. This is his final parting words with those that he loves most. And although Jesus has told the disciples the truth of who he is, he has foretold his death on on a few occasions. The disciples sitting in the upper room have completely missed out on the fact and have missed the truth of the promised Messiah. They have missed what is soon going to happen. You you see, the disciples are a lot like my kids. It doesn't matter how many times I can say something as their dad. They don't always remember, uh, understand, or believe what I have to say as their dad. And so out of my desire to communicate truth to them, I communicate that truth in many different ways as I share with them and walk with them as their father. And likewise, Jesus is doing the same with his disciples. He communicates through figures of speech. And in many different ways, Jesus was the master of communication. Because he knew where people were at, and he knew the nature of man. So with the desire that those who would hear would come to an understanding of of who he is, he spoke in multiple different ways. He uses figures of speech, things like similes. The kingdom of heaven is like. He uses things like metaphors. I am the vine and you are the branch. He uses proverbs and parables because he wants people to hear. In Matthew 13, 13, we're told that Jesus spoke in parables and figures of speech uh, because people's hearts had grown dull. And even though they would hear, not everyone would understand. And even though they would see, they would not always perceive What Jesus' desire is, is that his disciples would fully turn their ears and their hearts and their minds to him so that he could save them, so that he could heal them. And likewise this morning, just as Jesus reminded the disciples of his love and reminds reminds them who, who he is, his desire is that they truly understand and know. And what I want to do this morning is remind you of this thing called the gospel and encourage you, as Charles Spurgeon once said, to never lose heart in the power of the gospel. And what I hope to discover together is that regardless of trial or hardship, that we can all experience the love of the Father, the peace of the Son, and the hope of the cross as we look to Jesus, the Savior of the world. And so the first thing that I want us to do is explore together the love of the Father. 
I want you to imagine for a moment that you are fully aware of the moment that you are going to take your last breath. And the question I have for you is this, is what would you do with your last breath? Would you spend it on yourselves? Would you fight for one more paycheck, one more selfish ambition? Or would you use your last breath to offer hope to this world? doesn't matter who you are, how successful we have become. I think that most of us here would do one of two things if we found ourselves in this situation. The first is we would gather those that we love the most closest to us. We would draw them in and we would spend as much time as we possibly can with them. And secondly, we would give the greatest gift that we could, and that is our parting words. We would speak truth to those that we love. We would affirm them. We would remind them that they're loved and assure them that everything is going to be okay. And if this was you, you would literally be pouring out your heart for the ones that you love. And that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. In verse 26, in light of the cross, Jesus reminds them and he says this, in that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the father on your behalf for the father himself loves you. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I want you to stop for a moment and think about those words for a second. The Father himself loves you. God, who is the creator of heaven and earth, the one who created all things visible and invisible, the one who is before all things, and in him all things are held together, the God who is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, God the Father, loves you and has allowed you to have access to him. I don't know about you, but this thought rocks my world. And I have to admit that I do not even fully grasp and understand how incredible this fact is. That in my sin and in my brokenness that God the Father has given me and has given you access to him because of his love. Earlier in the book of John, Jesus would say this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In the upper room that night before the cross, Jesus takes time to remind the disciples of the life-changing reality that God loves them. You see, the disciples had no clue how much the Father loved them because Jesus hadn't gone to the cross. They had no clue at what cost God loved them because Jesus hadn't gone to the cross. They didn't know what his love would accomplish for them because Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. And even though they had lived with Jesus and had uh, done life with Jesus, they had not understood the complete love of the Father. And what Jesus is saying to them is this, you will soon understand. Because what you don't know is, is something that I know. 
The God we read about in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is one who loves despite our sins, our failures, despite our disbelief, our disobedience, because God himself is love. I love this quote that says, you see, when all else fails, Jesus appears in the flesh to knock on their doors, to sleep in the gardens, to eat at their tables, to call them back to him. God does not let them go. He won't let you go. And as I thought about the love of the father, I thought about how becoming a dad was one of the most life-changing moments in my life because it helped me understand the love of a father. You see, before becoming a dad, I had a completely different view of God's love for us. Because being a kid loved by a father is very different than a father loving his kid. About four years ago, my wife and I adopted kids. We adopted four kids, and they came home with us for the very first time. Dante, who is our second oldest, was four at the time. And he came walking into the house and he walked upstairs and he checked out his new bedroom and he saw the cat and the dog and, and looked at his very small backyard. And, and he came up to me and he kind of like beelined towards me and he stands kind of right in front of me. Five minutes into being in his new house, he looks at me and he says, new dad, I don't feel well. And he swallowed. And even as a new parent of five minutes and I am fully aware of my impending doom. So what do I do? Uh, Though I walk through the valleys of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Uh, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And, and I try telling my kid that everything is going to be okay. That this is part of transitioning into a new home. And he looks at me with the most innocent of eyes, fully aware of what he's going to do. And he spews all over me. To spew in the original language is to expel large quantities of something rapidly and forcibly. And so I stood there for a moment in shock. I didn't know what to do. Because if you know me, you will know this. I don't care how good of a friend I am to you. If your kid barfs on me, we're done. Okay? <laughs> Get out of my sight. I don't want to see you again. Here's the bill for my t-shirt. You're buying me a new one. Okay? I have disowned you. Goodbye. And in that moment, I did something that I have never, like never done before. I grabbed my boy and I hugged him. He rested in the pool that was my shirt. <laughs> And as I hugged him, I said, Heather, bring me bleach and steel wool quickly, okay? But here's the thing. I hugged him because he's my kid. I loved him in his sickness. I love him in his ailments. I love him in his brokenness. I love him in his weirdness. I love him with an unfailing love because he's my boy and I'm his dad. And for me, for me, maybe not so much for you, this has been an amazing picture of how God has loved me. That he loves me in my sickness. And even though there's this thing called sin in my life, and even though there's this thing called sin in your life, 
And even though there's consequences for that sin, that, that our iniquities have separated us from God, God himself puts into place a plan to bring us back into the fold of God. And it is through a mediator named Jesus that we can have access to the Father. Throughout the book of John, Jesus has been speaking about the Father's love, and he wants the disciples to grasp it and get it. And isn't that what Ephesians 2, 4 to 5 reminds us? That God loved you while you were still dead in your sins and trespasses? Or Romans 5, verse 8, that says God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us? I love what A.W. Tozer says about God's love. He says, Jesus Christ did, uh, came to, uh, not to condemn you, but to save you. Knowing your name, knowing all about you, knowing your weight right now, knowing your age, knowing what you do, knowing where you live, knowing what you ate for supper, what you're going to have for breakfast, where you're going to sleep tonight. He knows you individually as though there was no other person in the entire world. He died for you as certainty as if you had been the only one who was lost. He knows the worst about you and is the one who loves you the most. You see, as we read the book of John, you can't read it without being hit across the face about the amazing fact that God loves you. And the way that he has shown us this love is by sending his son, Jesus, into the world. And it is because of this world-changing fact that we can have peace. And that's the second thing I want us to look at this morning. Jesus reminds his disciples that we can have peace in the Son. I want you for a moment to think about a time when you had to be rescued. When Heather and I first got married, we lived in Campbell River and lived at my in-law's house, which was awesome. And we had this amazing view of the ocean. Greatest part about living there. And whenever a storm rolled in, we would do something that Heather did a lot as a kid. We would go upstairs, light candles, start a fire, and we would turn on the radio scanner and listen to the Coast Guard channel with Heather's mom and dad. Now, that may sound super lame, and the first time it was kind of like, oh, this is weird. But as I got to know my father-in-law, he's a retired Coast Guard captain. And he, would, he spent his entire working career rescuing people from disaster. And I remember one night in particular, this monster of a storm rolled in, and sure enough, the Coast Guard scanner goes off, and, and the Point Race, which is the boat that my father-in-law captained on, was called out to sea. And as we watched this Coast Guard ship leave the dock, it was immediately battered by the waves. And that's when my father-in-law said very quietly, you know when the red and the white, the, red, the color of the ship... You know when the red and the white show up in a storm that the story's going to change because there's a good chance someone's getting saved. Someone's getting rescued. And I want you to go back and think about that experience that you had when someone rolled up and rescued you. This moment, I am sure you felt a sense of peace that everything was going to be okay that you weren't alone, you weren't left for dead. Someone reached out their hand and they grabbed you. Someone jumped into the water to save you. And the gospel is the rescue story of humanity. In verse 28, Jesus reminds his disciples and he says this, I'm going to lay out the mission plan for you. I came from the Father 
And I have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world, and I'm going to the Father. Jesus is reminding the disciples that he didn't just come to be friends with them or come to be his home, their homeboy. He came because he was sent to this world for a reason. Not to just walk in it. But he was sent as the Son of God to save the world through his blood. God has provided a solution for you. God sent his Son, one and only Son, that whoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life, which is the gift of God. You see, we are all lost sinners who rightfully deserves God's judgment because of our sin. Our sin leads us to death. And what Jesus is saying in verse 28 is, is that Jesus came to take that judgment for you. He came to rescue you. And I think sometimes we have a misunderstanding of what this actually means. For some of us, we, we come into this place and we, we're like, hey, it's awesome. Jesus rescued us and he's making me a better person. Some of us think that, you know what, I, I was really empty in my life and Jesus came and he fulfilled me. Others think that Jesus came to save us from the troubles that we face and that everything is just going to be perfect. Others of us think that Jesus is just a ticket to heaven and it doesn't impact our lives. You see, God longs to save you. He longs for you to experience salvation because through salvation, you will know the Father. Salvation is more than the act of being saved, but rather communicates the thought of deliverance and safety, soundness, restoration, and healing. In theology, its major use is to denote a work of God on behalf of men, and as such, is a major doctrine of the Bible. Redemption, reconciliation, propitiation, conviction, repentance, faith, regeneration, forgiveness, justification, sanctification, and on and on and on this list goes. It's all about salvation. It's all about bringing us back into the authority that God is our king and we are his servants. And the reality, folks, is that regardless of who you are or what you look like or how rich or poor you are, we are all in need of salvation. We are all in need of a Savior. We are all in need to be rescued because we are lost sinners. And Jesus came to rescue us and to take the judgment that we deserved on himself. He puts himself on the line because that's what rescuers do. Acts 4 verse 12 reminds us that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And, and the, the thing is, folks, this morning, in this moment, there is a lot of us sinking in the depths of our sin. We're drowning in it. It has led to a separation and a brokenness and a heartache like no other. Our sin has led us to disaster. Sin in our marriages have ruined and broken our marriages. Sins in our families have broken our families. And it leads to death. The Bible says the soul who sins shall die. But what Jesus reminds us is this, is that the mission of God is that through the Son, we can live. We can experience peace. 
Isaiah 43 says this. It says, fear not, literally have peace, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, period. And that's who God is. That's who Jesus is. That's why we can have peace in him because he was sent. He came. He was on a mission. He reached his hand out for us and stood at the cross. Lastly, Jesus reminds the disciples of the hope of the cross. And he says this, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. And you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And what Jesus is saying here is this. This hope is not dependent on you. I'm going to say that again. This hope is not dependent on you. It's dependent on the Father who is with the Son. You see, as I said at the very beginning, the disciples were slow at best to understand Jesus. And although the disciples had no clue what the next 48 hours would hold, Jesus does. That the shadow of the cross is growing darker and it's coming closer. And so Jesus, it says, after he said these words, he left the gathering of his disciples. He turned his heart to God and he commits himself to the Father's plan where Jesus would ultimately be betrayed and arrested. His disciples would scatter in fear. He would stand before soldiers. He would be denied by his closest followers. He was questioned, denied again and again. He would stand before Pilate who found no fault in him, but was still given over to be crucified. He would be nailed onto the cross mocked, spat upon, and he did this for you, and he did this for I. He suffered in our place. And it was in his suffering that all was finished. So it says that he gave up his spirit and he died. Jesus would overcome our sin. The blood of the lamb would overcome the world. And what I find so gut-wrenching about this is this fact. The thing that moves me most about the gospel is this. Hope wasn't dependent on the disciples' commitment. Jesus knows that they're going to scatter just as they did. That when they started to feel that tension of being a follower of Jesus, that they were going to run away. One commentary author said is in this moment that Jesus is skeptical of the firmness of the disciples' belief and knows the impending failure of man. But here's the best part. Although he knows his disciples will scatter and abandon him and deny him, even, he, even though he knows that the cross is coming, he would still go to it. You see, the great news of the gospel and the cross is that even in our faithlessness, God 
has always, has always remained faithful. He sends his son to accomplish his mission of redeeming the world, of restoring a a relationship, of bringing us back into the fold of God. The book of Romans reminds us that while we were helpless, at the right time, when we scattered and ran away, that Jesus died for the ungodly. And I want to be very clear here. Jesus didn't die for the godly because there is no one who is godly. No one who is without sin. And that means even though you may think that you have it all together, the reality is, is you don't. And when we try justifying our sins, saying, you know what, it's, it's kind of small compared to my neighbors. It's not. It's huge. It's that sin that separated you from God. It was that sin that led to your brokenness. It is that sin that led to the injustices of the world. Look around. It's messed up. It's because of our sin. And what Jesus is shouting at us is this. Your hope isn't found in yourself. It's not found in anything that you can do. It's not found in how good you can be. Greg Gilbert, who wrote a book called Was the Gospel, says that the consequence of Adam and Eve's sin was disastrous for them, for their descendants and the rest of creation. They themselves were cast out of the Garden of Eden. Their fellowship with God was broken, and thus their hearts shriveled. Their minds filled up with selfish thoughts. Their eyes darkened to the beauty and the goodness of God, utterly void of the spiritual life that God gave them in the beginning when everything was good. You see, Jesus himself knew from the very beginning that his mission was to die for the sins of his people, regardless if they stuck by or not. And this was the announcement made from the very beginning when an angel appeared and announced his birth and said, he will save his people from their sins. As Jesus sat with his disciples that night, his eyes and his mind and his heart were set to the cross. Jesus knew why he was sent. He knew why he was going to go to the cross. He knew he was going to die. And out of love for his people and a a desire to be obedient to the Father, He willingly laid down his life. He took to the cross so that you could be forgiven, that you could know the Father, that you could have peace for your weary, weary heart. God's solution to humanity's brokenness is the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus. And as Jesus shared with his disciples these very last words, He did so because he wanted to prepare them for his absence. In light of the cross, Jesus knows the struggles and the pain. He knows that the disciples are going to really have a hard time being away from his presence. That they would be aware of their sins. That they would have pain as they went through this time. And in verse 33, Jesus reminds them with these words. 
These things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus' desire was for the disciples and each one of us to be able to hang on to these words. That each one of us would be able to hang on to the Father's love, the peace of the Son, and the hope of the cross. That as we encounter difficulties and struggles, as we come to an understanding of our own sinfulness and brokenness, that the gospel would move us to a deeper faith and understanding of God's love for humanity. And Jesus challenges the disciples in their understanding of him and asks them, do you finally believe? And that question is asked to you this morning. Do you believe? Has the Spirit of God spoken clearly to you this morning? If so, you have to respond. And the way that you respond is through faith and repentance. Putting faith in Jesus means that you renounce any other hope of being counted righteous before God and trusting that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It means admitting your own sufficiencies and... and um, Admitting your own insufficiencies and relying on Jesus. And the other way that we respond is through repentance, which is the turning away from our sin, turning away from the evil in our hearts and our lives in order to look to Jesus. It is literally turning away from it, leaving it behind, and running to Jesus. And I tell you this because the gospel is the greatest news that you and I will ever hear. It is the greatest news that we can offer this world because it offers us a hope and a future. The gospel shows us the Father's love and how we can have peace. But the question is, what are you going to do with it? Some of us will reject the truth. Some of us sitting here actually thinks it's irrelevant for our lives. Some of us are so dependent on it. Dependent on every word that Jesus has spoken. So where are you at? Because it requires a response. My hope and my prayer this morning is that God will lead you to step out in faith and repentance. And this morning, we want to provide an opportunity for you to do that. As we invite the worship team up, we're also going to invite some individuals around the room who, who would love to pray with you, who would love to listen to you, who would love to encourage you with the hope of the gospel. And I encourage you that if, if the Holy Spirit has tugged on your heart, that you go in faith and, and talk to someone. The other way in which we want to respond is this. Complete dependence on Jesus through worship. And so why don't you stand? We're going to pray, and then we're going to respond in song. Let's stand. Jesus, we thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you that in our doubts, in our sins, in our struggles, in our shame, God, that we can know the love of the Father, 
the peace of the Son and the hope of the cross. And my heart's prayer this morning, Lord, is that we would just look at the gospel in a new, a fresh way. That we will realize, maybe even for the very first time, how significant and amazing and life-changing God the Father is that he would not leave us, but he would rescue us. And so I pray for those here who, who are just sinking. God, I would pray that they would respond as a hand has been reached out to them. A good word, the gospel. And so be with us, Lord, as we worship, would our hearts be drawn to you. We thank you again for your grace. And everyone said, amen. Let's respond.